are good looking. Amen. Evening, everybody. Thank you for taking time out of your your week to come and join us here at Evangel. <clears throat> Let's extend our hands towards the cross. <clears throat> our bishops are continuing their uh, their journey out and about doing God's work, uh, <clears throat> ministering at a, a couple different churches today. Father, we thank you. We thank you for our overseers. We thank you, Father, that they desire nothing more than to serve you, to praise you, to lift up your name, Father, through the preaching of the word, through the teaching of the word, Father, through ministering to your people. Father, as they come home, they will say it has been good to be in the house of the Lord. So, Father, I ask that you would pour out a double portion of your strength, of your healing, of your blessing upon them. Father, look upon the sacrifices that they have made, not only today, but in the years past, Father. And even those sacrifices that you know that they will, they will make in the future, Father. And lift up your kids. Lift them up on high. Honor your children, Father. Honor your son and daughter. Proclaim them, Father, and put upon their, their stamp them, Lord, with, that, with those words, well done my good and faithful servant. So, Father, we speak a hedge of protection around them as they come home and a good night's sleep, Father. They may be ready to serve you here at Evangel tomorrow. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. We don't like to let bishops go, but we got to share them on occasion, don't we? Amen. So we thank God for them, and we will look forward to seeing them tomorrow. <clears throat> okay. Here we go. Here we go. A young man named John received a parrot for, as a gift. <clears throat> the problem was the parrot had a bad attitude. Say bad attitude. Bad attitude. And an even worse vocabulary. <laughs> Every word out of the bird's mouth was rude, obnoxious, and laced with profanity. John tried everything to change the bird's attitude by consistently saying polite words, playing soft music, and anything else he could think of to clean up the bird's vocabulary, but to no avail. Finally, John was fed up and he yelled at the parrot. The, yell the parrot yelled back. John shook the parrot, and the parrot got even angrier and even more rude. In desperation, John threw up his hands, grabbed the bird, and put him in the freezer. For a few minutes, the parrot squawked and kicked and screamed. Then suddenly, there was total quiet. Not a peep was heard for over a minute. Fearing that he killed the parrot, John quickly opened the door to the freezer. The parrot calmly stepped out on John's outstretched arm and said, I believe I may have offended you with my rude language and actions. I sincerely, remorsefully, uh, or I am sincerely remorseful for my inappropriate transgressions, and I fully intend to do everything I can to correct my rude and unforgiving behavior. John was stunned at the change in the bird's attitude. And he was about to ask the parrot what made such a drastic change in his behavior when the bird said, may I ask what the chicken did wrong? <laughs> we have a very encouraging word for you tonight. <laughs> Moving lots on. Of great insight. It is called the aftermath. Say the aftermath. The aftermath. How many of you ever heard of a website called Ashley Madison? Okay, well, a couple, couple people have, and I'm glad that the most of you haven't. But if you know Ash, uh, the, 
the website, and I'm sure nobody here has ever visited it. But I will tell you that in 2015, the AshleyMadison.com advertised that they were the most recognized married dating site on the internet. Their company felicitated adulterous flings for married people. Now, this isn't a joke. This is true, okay? Married people who wanted to hook up with someone they didn't know could pursue an affair through the Ashley Madison website. In fact, 37 million people became their clients. They were attracted by the promise of anonymity and the ability to browse thousands of willing adulterers. At the peak of their business, there was only three zip codes in the United States that didn't have an Ashley Madison account. Pretty shocking, huh? Mm -hmm. People signed up believing they could have a fling and nobody would ever know and nobody would ever get hurt. But here's the thing. The site was hacked. And what these customers did in the dark was now exposed to the light. And we will never know the countless destroyed marriages, broken homes, and devastated children that resulted from this hacking, worse from these adulterous affairs. Pretty shocking, huh? Well, the Bible has a, a similar record, but not of Ashley Madison. 3,000 years ago, there was a king named David, and he fell into the same trap with the same results. He lived a fascinating life. We know that. His life was filled with victories and successes. But we're going to see that this man who God said, say God said. God said. God said he was a man after his own heart was really somebody who broke God's heart. And in 2 Samuel 11, we read about David uh, on his rooftop of the palace strolling around while his army was about on the battlefield. So where should have David have been? On the battlefield, right? But instead, he's home. We don't know why he made that decision, but there he was. And he looks across the rooftop, and he sees a beautiful woman bathing on the rooftop. And I always wondered, why in the world was she up on the rooftop? Makes you think, doesn't it? And even though he's warned that she's someone else's wife, he brings her into the palace, he sleeps with her, and then he sends her home believing that, say this with me, no one, no one will ever, will ever know. know. And no one will get hurt. Why? Because it was just a one-night stand. A month later, he receives an unexpected message, message from Bathsheba, the woman he slept with. And the message contained three words that he never wanted to hear. Everybody knows what they were, so say them with me. I, I am, am Pregnant. So now David's in this quandary. <clears throat> so he summons her husband Uriah back from the battlefield and he does everything he can, including getting him drunk, to go home and sleep with his wife so that then everybody will know that the child was really Uriah's and David's sin will be what? Covered up. But Uriah was too honorable and too noble to do what David asked him to do and he wasn't going to enjoy the comforts of home while his men were still fighting for their lives. So there's Uriah, Mr. Honorable, Mr. Innocent, doing the right thing while his king is doing the wrong thing. 
So David sends him back to the battle and purposely, say purposely, purposely, has him murdered in order to cover up what David has done. He brings Bathsheba into the palace about a month later. They go through a grieving process and then the two marry and they have a son. And it's almost a year. Almost a year goes by and David believes what? That his sin has been covered up. It's over. It's done with. There's no paparazzi, there's no news media, there's no social media. There is nothing, say nothing, nothing, to expose him. And so he believes that he has gotten away with this great sin. Mm-hmm. What we have to remember is that if there is a God in heaven, amen, nobody gets away with it. Amen. Nobody, right? The path of sin always leads to the aftermath of sin. So say that. The path of sin. The path of sin. Always leads. Always leads. To the aftermath of sin. To the aftermath of sin. Better known as consequences. Amen. The Mm -hmm. aftermath. This is important for us to know as Christians. Not just for our own sin, but because we can be very judgmental towards other people. And we can get very upset when we're trying to live a holy life. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to be obedient and submitted to God's word. And people do horrible, nasty things and there doesn't seem to be any punishment for it. So we can kind of get on our high horse and say, God, that's not fair. How come they can treat me this way? How come they got away with that? Here I am crucifying my flesh every day to try to live in a way that's pleasing to you. And there's just no repercussions. There's always repercussions. There is always aftermath. And what we have to remind ourselves as believers when our mind starts to go there is God is the ultimate judge. It's not our place. It's not our place to judge other people, but we can trust that there will be aftermath. Amen? So God sends a man named Nathan to David. He's a trusted friend, and he's sent to do two things. The first is to break David's heart, and the second is to give medicine and healing to David's soul. Mm -hmm. So question, how do you really know if you're right with God? Mm. How do you know that you have a real relationship with God? How do we really know that we're not just talking, but we're actually walking the walk? The way that you can tell if your relationship with God is real is when you sin. Mm. Because God will always do three specific things to let you know that you belong to him. And the first one is that God will lead you to confront your sin. Mm. Say, God will lead me. God will lead me. To confront. To confront. My sin. My sin. What does confront mean? It means look it right in the face, doesn't it? I'm going to confront that thing, I'm going to face it head on, and I'm going to call it what it is. So God will always lead us to confront our sin. So David thought he had committed the perfect crime, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe God was asleep at the wheel. Maybe he's just going to let this one go, right? And for the entire year, everything seemed fine and like he got away with it. But things aren't always as they seem, are they? Mm -hmm. Because there's a little footnote at the bottom of this chapter that says, but the thing David had done displeased Mm -hmm. the Lord. And that's written there to let us know that while the story continued, God was displeased with the choices that David had made. So outside of Joab, nobody knows what happened. The only other person who would have known was Bathsheba's husband Uriah, and he's been killed. Joab is never going to open his mouth, right, and, and share the truth about what the king has done. His loyalty is too strong. But God always sees and God always knows, doesn't he? 
So God waited patiently for an entire year for David to make it right and to make it right on his own without God's intervention. You know, God doesn't always settle accounts with us at the end of each day, and I've noticed God doesn't even settle accounts with us at the end of each week or the end of each month, but God does settle his accounts, and he will always hold us accountable. So David has racked up sins of adultery, deceit, murder on his spiritual credit card, and now the bill has come due. Mm. And so in 2 Samuel 12, 1, it says the Lord sent Nathan to David. So here is God leading David to confront his sin. He says, I'm going to send you Nathan. If you're right with God, God will send a Nathan to you. The Holy Spirit will always come to us first. Mm -hmm. But if we try to just push it under the rug or ignore him or, or get away with it, he'll send a Nathan your way. When did God send Nathan to David? Was it after he committed adultery? Yes or no? No, right? Was it after he found out that he was going to be a father? No. Was it after he had Uriah murdered? No. Was it after he married Bathsheba? No. Was it after she gave birth to his baby? No. God waited an entire year, and he let the sin simmer in David's heart. And during that time, David wrote two psalms about the condition he was in, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, and his condition was miserable. Mm -hmm. He describes the state of his mind, his spirit, his physical body as being a train wreck. He was not happy during that time. So Nathan tells David a story to get his attention, and the story goes like this. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, Listen, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had brought in and he had raised it. It grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a little kid to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the little ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did that deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and he had no pity. Well, the symbolism in the story is pretty obvious to us, isn't it? Who is the rich man in the story? David, right? Who's the poor man in the story? Uriah. Mm -hmm. Who's the pet lamb in the story? Bathsheba. The traveler passing by is temptation. So as Nathan's telling the story with every passing word, David's blood's beginning to boil. He's getting red in the face. Veins are starting to stick out. He's getting madder and angrier and angrier till he's infuriated. The scripture says David burned with anger. He was physically infuriated because he thinks the story's true. So he gets all worked up over somebody else's sin, but he denies his own. It's amazing how we do that, isn't it? How we can look at other people, as they say, the speck in, in their eye, we have a log coming out of our own, right? He's angrier at a man taking and slaughtering a lamb than he is at himself for taking a human being's life. So David thought he was looking into a window as the story unfolded, but really he was looking at a mirror, wasn't he? And so while he's listening, he makes that comment and he actually sentences himself. 
he does it in his own court. He's the villain in the story. Mm -hmm. And he goes ahead and he just, you know, confesses and directs what the punishment should be, not even realizing he's talking about himself. Mm -hmm. How many of you can identify with David and his, what we'll call at this point, righteous anger? How many of you have been in a situation where you know somebody has done something and you just burn up and think, why in the world did they get to get away with that, right? I'm sure we've all been there at some point. I remember one time walking into a Ford Motor Company when, uh, remember I'm Canadian, and so I worked at Ford in Windsor for uh, 32 years, and I remember talking to God walking into work one day and, uh, about a particular situation, and I was just, I was seething over it. Just, man. And I couldn't believe that this situation was happening. And the Holy Spirit taps me on the shoulder and, and he says, do you think you're so righteous? And I says, well, I would never do something like this. And have you ever had God pull the curtain back on your life? Or, or just slightly lift his grace enough so you can really see or even catch a glimpse of what you really like? Well, that's what he did for me that morning. <laughs> And I tell you, it shut me up awful quick. <laughs> Here's a funny story. There was a man named Thomas Martin of Orville, California. <clears throat> he was a former mass manager of a jack-in-a-box restaurant. Anybody ever remember those? Yeah. Hamburger joints? Yep. <clears throat> he called the police one night and said, I have been robbed of $307. I was closing up the store and a man came in and he robbed me of $307. So the police investigated the incident and they brought a man named Jack Lee who was a sketch artist and they asked Martin to tell him what the suspect looked like. He provided the artist with a detailed description of the assailant. When Lee put his pad down, he looked at the drawing, then he looked to Martin and realized they looked the same. He began to question Martin and eventually Martin confessed that he was the thief. Martin had identified himself as the culprit and you know what? That's exactly what David did in this story. Amen? <clears throat> when David heard those three words from Bathsheba, I am pregnant, it made him run from God. Now Nathan tells him four words to David that are going to make him run to God. David, or excuse me, Nathan's four words are, you are the man. You are the man, 2 Samuel 12, 7. <clears throat> the blood drains out of David's face. His lips begin to tremble. And I'm sure his eyes filled with tears as he realized his own guilt. As he realized all of the sin that he had committed and how vile it really was came flooding back to him. How many here have ever, and you don't have to put up your hand for this one, but how many of you have ever been, got, had God face you with something that you did? And you've been running and running and running from it, and all of a sudden he's got you in this corner and there ain't no place else to go. And you come face to face with yourself. Amen? So remember this. When you're right with God and you're truly his, Whatever sin you conceal, excuse me, at some place, sometime God will reveal, right? So number one, he leads us to confront our sin. And number two, he leads us to 
confess our sin. And that is the purpose. God didn't send Nathan to David to slap him upside the head, although that was part of it, to get his attention. But more than that, he sent Nathan to David because he loved him. The depth of his love drove God to have David exposed. Why? Because David was a man after his own heart. And just remember that, people, if you ever feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit on your life over something, it's <clears throat> God may be disappointed, and he may even be angry. I've been in those places, boy, where I've felt the, the anger of the Lord on my life. <clears throat> but it's always because he loves us. He never wants sin in our life. Amen? <clears throat> 2 Samuel 12, 7, 8 says, this, this is uh, Nathan talking. <clears throat> this is what the Lord God of, of Israel says. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord says, the Lord God of Israel. I anointed you over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all of this had been too little, say too little. Too little. I would have even given you more. You want to think about that statement. How much God desired to bless David. So here's this man after God's own heart, and he totally forgets God's heart. Have you ever been in that position? You get so caught up in yourself, so self-centered, that you completely forget God's heart. <clears throat> Listen to this lesson here. <clears throat> you never have to do what's wrong to get what's right for you. I say that again. If you're taking notes, it's worth writing down. You never have to say what's wrong to get what's right for you. God always wants your best. He always wants to give you what he knows is the best for you. But never does the end justify the means, nor does the mean justify the ends. You know, when I was younger, I <clears throat> used to have a really black and white personality. And uh, I've told you my story before, growing up in England where we were so poor, we would make welfare kids look rich. So I learned to control and manipulate. I was very, very manipulative as a kid. <clears throat> when I became a Christian and an adult, how many know manipulation doesn't work? And I cannot tell you how many times God would face me with that and face me with that and face me with that until he ground it out of me. Amen? But I always had that statement that in my mind uh, the end justified the means and the means justified the end because why? I had to protect myself as a kid. But God would grind it out of me. Why? Because he wanted me to know that he was the end that I needed. That he was he would supply all of my needs according to his riches glory, and I wouldn't have to cheat or excuse me lie or cheat or steal uh, to get what I wanted. Okay, God would provide, and I simply had to learn to do things God's way. So sin is wicked. Amen. David covered up his adultery. He had murdered a man. He had tried to cover up by making somebody else lie. But his sin was far worse than that. And his greatest sin was that he broke the heart of God. 
Look at what God says. He tells David three things. In verse 9, he says, What you did, <coughs> what you, excuse me, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Verse 10 says, Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. And in verse 14 he says, However, this is what the Lord says, Out of your own house I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes I will take your wives and give them to someone who is close to you, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Why did God issue such a judgment upon David? Because he was the leader of Israel. He set the tone for the nation. And, and that's just the truth, people. The higher up you go in God's kingdom, the more he expects from us. And the more he truly does hold us accountable. Why? Because of the lives that we affect as leaders. So remember this. All sin is ultimately and primarily against God. We're not stealing from a company we're stealing from a God who said, do not steal. So when we sin, this is what we're doing. We despise the word of God, even though God says or tells us what to do. What we're really telling God is, I don't care about your word. I'm not going to listen, and I'm not going to do what your word says. Then we disgrace the name of God, because even though God says to do what is right, we deliberately choose to do what is wrong. And then we damage the reputation of God. And we give outsiders the opposite, uh, excuse me, the opportunity to say things like, oh, so you're a preacher and yet you've been sleeping with somebody for the last year. Right? Oh, you're a Christian, so you've been gossiping about me behind my back. Oh, so you're a Christian, but yet you've been sneaking into work a little bit late and leaving a little bit early and not telling anybody. Wow. You must serve a pretty poor God to let you get away with things like that. That's what the world looks at. That's what the word, word excuse me, the world says about us. <clears throat> when you love people, <clears throat> and more than that, when you love God, I, I'll never, I, I never ever forget these words from Bishop. Bishop has, has said to me time and time again, I don't want to do anything that will hurt my father. Those words resonate with me. I can't tell you how many times uh, during a week. <clears throat> so when we say we love people, but yet we do things that hurt people, what we're really saying is, I don't care about God. Okay? Remember this, people. All sin hurts God. So here's the man after God's own heart showing up again. Here's the David that we all love and admire and respect and what I like to call the real David. In 2 Samuel 12, it says, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So here comes the confrontation, right? The confession. No excuses. He just confesses the sin, doesn't call it a mistake, and he doesn't blame anybody. Well, if Bathsheba hadn't been on the roof, this wouldn't have happened, right? He confesses that he sinned against God first, and then he has sinned. And that's what we have to get a hold of and realize. It's our integrity, amen? 
And God's calling us to that standard. Think of the times that we're in now. People are looking to the church for an example, and we're doing a pretty poor job of setting one to the world. So we really need to step up and say, God, I give you permission to cut me off at the past when I'm thinking wrong things, when I'm hating somebody, when I'm walking in unforgiveness, when I'm frustrated. I don't think there's anybody here that's living in intentional sin, that's an adultery, that's stealing, you know, that's abusing somebody. But it's the gossip, right? It's the backstabbing. It's our attitudes of our heart. It's wishing things on people because they get on our nerves or they frustrate us. It's retaliating because people mistreat us. It's all sin, right? And it all has aftermath. And I think God is really narrowing the path for all of us in this day because he wants to bless us. He wants to use us. But he's got to have us in a place where we're looking like him at least a little bit. Amen? Amen. So number three is that God will allow us to consider our sin. Mm. He's going to allow us to really think about what we've done and what's happened because of the choices we make. So in 2 Samuel 23, Nathan replied, David, God's taken away your sin. You're not going to die. Mm. The penalty for adultery was death. So Bathsheba should have died. The penalty for murder was death. So David should have died. But when we honestly and completely confess our sin, God cleanses us of all of our sin. And he says, the Lord has taken away your sin. The good news is that grace comes in and it replaces guilt. Mm. However, grief is just around the corner because there's always consequences. Amen? Second Samuel 12, 10 through 11 and 14 says, Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house, and the son born to you will die. Mm. Wow, that's serious, isn't it? Mm. Just heartbreaking consequences. Because of what David had did, the baby dies. So David is chased out of his palace. His son commits adultery with all of his wives. Mm -hmm. Another one of his sons rapes his sister. Another one of his sons kills the brother for the rape. Total chaos. When he said, your house is going to fall by the sword, boy, God wasn't kidding. It was just complete calamity within his house. But didn't God say he forgave David? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he sure did. Didn't God say he cleansed David of his sin? Yep, he sure did. Forgiveness erases the guilt of sin, right? But it doesn't avoid the grief or the aftermath that comes ah. with it. So God will forgive you for adultery, but it doesn't mean that your marriage is going to remain intact. Right? God will forgive you for stealing, but it doesn't mean you're not going to get terminated from your job. Mm -hmm. So the king wasn't above the law, and neither are we. Mm -hmm. Amen? So when we use up that credit card of sin and we start putting things on it, a payment's going to come due at some point, isn't it? So God sent Nathan to David. And we need to be a Nathan to somebody and let them know, you don't have to live under your sin. God can lift that off of you. He can wash away that guilt and condemnation. He can cleanse you of it. So encourage people in that, right? Mm -hmm. Sin will always take you then farther than you wanted to go, mm -hmm. right? It will always keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and it will always cost more than you wanted to pay. Amen? It's not worth it. And I know that, uh, you know, I've been asking the Holy Spirit lately, God, help me to think like you. 
Help me to have your emotions. Help me to see people with the love that Christ sees people with. And so God changed those little things that slip by, attitudes and thoughts and things that come out of my mouth. And God has just been showing me and showing me. And I think, wow, this is really unbelievable. Sin is so not worth it. For what we give up, right? It's not worth it. So ask God, make me conscientious, make me sensitive to when I'm stepping out of what your word says, for when I'm rebelling against you, for when I'm in disobedience. God, for when I'm not making you look good, for when I'm affecting your reputation, for when integrity's not present, start to check me, God. And you'll be shocked how many times a day it happens, amen? But it's a good thing because God's trying to duplicate himself in us and he's trying to draw us to him so that he can do a work deep in our heart. See, the awesome thing with God is you don't just have to practice until you're perfect mm-hmm. and you don't have to try to maintain this and, and you know, just be godly and everything you do throughout the day. He simply does a work in our heart and we lose our desire for it and we quit. Mm-hmm. We just stop acting crazy, <laughs> amen? And we start glorifying God with our mouth and our attitudes and what's in our heart. Mm-hmm. How many of you want to just glorify him just by being? Amen. It's like, God, I just want to glorify you when I get up in the morning because I'm clean before you and my heart is after you. So do that work in me, God. So there's no maintenance on my part, but that I'm able to freely just flow with the Holy Spirit and give you glory in all that I do and say. Amen. Say, come up higher. Come up higher. Say it again. Come up higher. Come up higher. God is always calling us to come up higher. Come up higher in him. Come up deeper in him. Come up, walk with, walk closer with him. So what Dr. Trish is talking about, you know, when, when God gets into the nitty gritty of your life, of our lives, okay, he's not doing it because he's, he's vindictive. He's doing it for the exact opposite reason. And that's because he's, he's merciful, he's gracious, he's loving, and he's caring. And when he says, come up higher, what it means is come up higher to me. Come closer to me. Be more like me. You want to think about Jesus when he, when he walked this earth. And, you know, he lived this perfect life. And people hated him for it. Keep that in mind, people. You know, the closer you walk with him, people aren't going to like it. Because the very presence of, of you being clean means the Holy Spirit shines that much brighter through you. And the Holy Spirit always brings conviction. Amen? And so sometimes you might be, you know, this, this really kind gracious type of individual uh you know you're very conscientious and you are just going to get on the last nerve of somebody and that's simply conviction mm-hmm. and then you turn turn around and say you know god why don't they like me why did this why why am i going through this and god will show you a picture of jesus of jesus hanging on that cross and saying i died for him i died for you come up higher Come closer to me. Come be more like me. Mm-hmm. 
You know, after church this morning, I was talking to a good friend of mine, and she was sharing exactly that, how she had a superior who was just intentionally abusive towards her. And she said, I know she's involved in things she shouldn't be, meaning things in a spiritual realm that aren't of God, and I know there's some contamination there and, you know, just dabbling with things that she shouldn't be. But she says, come on, I've been in deliverance for years. I know how to bind and loose and rebuke that stuff. I know how to plead the blood of Jesus. But there's intentional aggravation towards me. And I think, what did I ever do to you? And I just smiled at her and I said, it's the Holy Spirit in you that's bringing conviction on the evil that resides around her, that she's invited in, that she's associated with and created covenant with. I said, I don't necessarily know that there's any homework for you to do in this case. It's simply the word of God in you that's being tested. And sometimes that's the case, right? We think I've been nothing but loving towards this person, but you get all these uh, funky attitudes and, and you know just negative uh, responses and they go out of the way to cause you grief and you think, what in the world? Well, it is the world, right? Coming against up the, uh, up against the Holy Spirit. And because the Holy Spirit is in us, it will challenge, right? And it will confront those things of the enemy that are in other people. Now, that's not to say we just rest there and say, oh, it's just the devil, right? We always want to say, okay, God, is there anything that you want to change in me? Is there anything that you're trying to show me in this situation or relationship? But just be aware that in this day and age, a lot of it is simply the enemy confronting the Holy Spirit in us. The good thing is we know who's stronger, amen? So all we have to do is love and be forgiving. Amen. So the question we need to ask ourselves is how close do we want to walk with God? How close do we really want to walk with God? Back to our, our notes here. The Bible says that the Israelite kings were divided into two categories. So if, you, so if you read through the book of Kings and Chronicles, you'll see there's two types of kings. Those who did right in the sight of the Lord and those who did wrong in the sight of the Lord. Pretty easy, right? David was put in that first category. A man after his own heart, a man who did right in the sight of the Lord. But if you look at his obituary in 1 Kings 15, 5, it says, For David had done what was right in the sight of the Lord and not, had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commandments all of his days except. Say except. What is God saying to you? about your life, drawing you up higher, come up higher. You're doing everything I've asked you to do. You're showing your grace, you're, or showing my grace, you're showing my mercy, accept. And it's not God being picky and it's not God being judgmental, it's not God being legalistic. It's simply God saying, I want, I want that area. I want that area because I want you to reflect me. So David followed all the commands of the Lord all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite, the one blemish on an otherwise remarkable man's life, a man after his own heart, except. So look for that in your own life. Look for God saying that word, except. Look for those convictions, you know. And, and once again, the, the higher you go, the gentler the Holy Spirit's voice is, the quieter it is. Sometimes he just whispers a little nudge. Why? Because he wants us to get that sensitive to him. There was a reason God could take away David's sin, and here's the great news, and, and something David didn't know. 
The reason why he could take away David's sin is because of one of David's descendants. So in 2 Samuel 12, 13, it says, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. The literal translation is, The Lord has taken away your sin and has put it on another. Huh. Mm -hmm. Who's that remind you of? Mm -hmm. Isn't that what Jesus did? So God knew. Saw into the future. Saw Jesus hanging on the cross for the sin that David committed. And where in the, under Moses' law, David should have been stoned to death. He should have been uh, killed, murdered. Right? An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. God extends his grace because of one of his relatives. And guess what he does to all of us? Jesus is our brother. He's our high priest. He's our intercessor. We are part of God's family. And so God says when we sin, he has put that sin on another. He has put that sin on Jesus. What were the four words that David, or excuse me, Nathan said to David? He said, you are the man. You are the one who sinned, but you will not die because I have put your sin on someone else. Amen. So 2,000 years later, Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate has done a complete and thorough investigation. He's turned over every rock, every stone. He's interviewed people. He knows everything about this man, Jesus. And Pontius Pilate says to him, I can't find any offense. I can't find anything that's your fault. And the crowds are yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And Pontius Pilate looks at him and he says, here is the man. You are the man. But the fact is, Jesus wasn't the man, right? I was the man. You were the man. We were the man. Amen? But he says to Jesus, you are the man. Because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he became the man, right? He became the man who took all of our sins off of us so that we could walk in complete forgiveness, an incredible intimate relationship with God, and so that we were truly forgiven forever. You know, David wasn't defined by his sin, and neither are you. You're never defined by what you've done wrong, but we're always defined by what Jesus Christ did right. Amen? So your sins don't have to destroy your present. They don't have to define your future. Jesus already took the rap for all that. Amen? He took it for us, and he took it from us. And he delivers us from guilt because he says, I'm the man. Right? I'm the man. Isn't that awesome? Say, Jesus, Jesus you're the man. You are the man. You're the man. You're the man. So I don't have to be the man. So I don't have to be I the man. I have no guilt. I have no guilt. I've been cleansed. I've been cleansed. Because you're the man. Because you're the man. Mm-hmm. You know, in closing here, uh, Pastor Eric, if you want to come up, there's a saying, misery loves company. Have you ever heard that? Okay. And what that means is sometimes we, we feel miserable inside and we, we have that woe is me pity party. And, and we gather people around us who are going to say to us, oh, you know, I feel so bad for you. You know, let me come and commiserate you in, in your situation. Let me put your armor. You're, you're not such a bad guy. Don't look for people like that. Don't hang with people like that. Okay. You want to be challenged in your walk with Christ. You want people in your life who are not going to, you know, come down and, and condemn you like, you know, what, what are you doing? You know, why are you doing this type of thing? But you want people who are going to be honest with you. 
and who are going to, as the, as the saying goes, call a spade a spade. Because God is calling us in this day and age to grow up. To grow up into the image and likeness of Christ. You know, you can talk about Christ coming back soon and, you know, whether we're in the end times and all of that kind of stuff. But the truth is, we are always in the end times. And the reason why I say that, because we never know when Christ is going to come back. And so today is the day for us to grow up. Today is the day to grow closer to Christ. Today is the day to be like Bishop and say, Father, I don't want to do anything that will hurt your heart. Amen? Amen. So if you're a true Christian and you're really trying to follow God, let's remember these three points. Number one, he will lead us to confront our sins. The Holy Spirit will convict you, again, not because he's judging, but because he loves you and he wants to draw you to his heart. Number two, he will lead us to confess our sin. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is what? Faithful and just to confess or forgive us our sins. And here's the big part, people. Never forget this. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just as if we'd never sinned. God sees us through the blood of Jesus and he sees us perfect. And number three, God will allow us to consider our sin. What does that mean? God will give us grace. He'll give us grace. He'll give us grace. But there's, there will come a point where we have to face that which he's calling us to face. So perhaps you don't know Jesus as your personal savior. Perhaps you have never gone through a time where you have just confessed your need of him so let's bow our eyes or excuse me bow our heads and and close our eyes let's just say this together okay dear god dear god i want to be part of your family i want to be part of your family you say in your word you say in your word that if i confess my sin that if i confess my sin that you will forgive me that you will forgive me and that you will cleanse me and that you will cleanse me i believe you raised jesus from the dead i believe you raised jesus from the dead and i accept him this day and i accept him this day as my lord and savior as my lord and savior i have not lived a perfect life i have not lived a perfect life but you have lived a perfect life but you have lived a perfect life so i receive forgiveness so i receive forgiveness for my sins for my sins and i accept and i Accept your salvation your salvation from this day forward from this day forward Jesus is my Lord Jesus is my Lord and my Savior and my Savior and I want to live for you and I want to live for you in Jesus name in Jesus name amen amen so if you prayed that for the very first time please come and see that see us if you prayed it in a rededication please come and see us we are here for prayer if you have any need for prayer uh, Whatever is going on in your life, please come on up. Uh, Everybody, please respect social distancing. There's refreshments out to the left. There's a barb out there, always faithful. There's uh, baskets up front if you've come late and you want to give your tithes and offerings. Um, But take a few minutes and just fellowship with each other. You know, it's it's early. it's only about 25 after 8. Take a few minutes and fellowship with each other. and Or just spend a few minutes in God's presence. Just spend a few minutes in God's presence. Amen. Other than that, have a blessed week. We love you very much. Yes, we love you. God bless you.